Okay, we are talking about creation out of Genesis chapter 1, and uh, we will uh, continue that, take a little while. I think we've got through three days so far, and so uh, there's a lot to think about. It's an extraordinary passage, one of the most unique things ever written in the history of the world. Genesis chapter 1. There's just nothing like it. And it's an amazing thing. And we've seen uh, in the beginning God Elohim created. Elohim, that personage who is God who has a radical power. That's what Elohim meant. There was a radical power at work. And we're going to see that more, more and more as we go through it. Although every day there's some radical thing that he's made. We started out, remember, and God said, let there be light. And he created light. And the fascinating thing is that he created light without the sun. <laughs> he didn't need the sun. He is not dependent on his creation. He can do whatever he wants. And so the first day he created light. And the next day he said he uh, created the firmament, or the air, as we would call it. And we talked about uh, the layers that's around the earth and what they do for us and God's creating of that uh, atmosphere that we live in. The third day, uh, we had God doing double duty. He made dry land. That is, he cracked the earth wherever it needed it. and The waters ran in the hole and the earth turned dry. And then he planted the whole uh, world with plant life. And that must have been a spectacular sight. You recall that when the uh, astronauts went up out of space and they turned around and they looked back at the Earth, you remember that time? And they said, it's a jewel in space. And so it was. It's a fantastic looking thing. Nothing out there that looks anything like it. Our Earth. And you see it's blue where the water is and green where all the vegetation is. And God made a beautiful world. He was making it so uh, it could be inhabited. Uh, he wanted it to be inhabited or he's going to fill it with more things than that. And so now we come to day number four. <clears throat> and so we'll take a look and read through and we'll stop and think about what this all means. I think this is one of the more exciting of the days. Verse 14. Genesis 1 verse 14. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. Let it let them be for signs, for seasons, for days and years. Let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the lesser light to rule the day, or the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night. And he made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth, 
and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good and the evening and the morning were the fourth day. So we've come to the fourth day of creation and there already is light. God has already created light and there is light on the earth and he is controlling it. But now he has set up uh, a system and remember his primary that we don't forget when we talk about creation God is a God of order. And here we see a very orderly creation that he's making when he creates the sun and the moon and the stars. And this God of order is preparing for, I suppose, what we call a human calendar. The human calendar. How time is measured and how it works. And so he creates the sun and the sun as we know uh, is up there shedding light on the earth. And he says I did it so that we could keep things in order and these things are going to create order in the earth as far as days, years, and seasons. So there's going to be a regular source of day and night, a regular source of uh, years. He's got years, he's got days and nights he creates. And then he even puts in there, there are seasons. And those are all part of what he creates on the third day when he puts the light things up in the sky for us to see. <coughs> now, uh, in the beginning, it's interesting, uh, we look back in human history and there was a time when everybody said, well, the world is flat. If you go far enough, you fall off the edge. Right? And that's what they thought. They thought the world was flat and they were going to sail over the edge. And Christopher Columbus got real daring and sailed right out there and he didn't fall off. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, but they thought the world was flat. They also thought that uh, the earth was the center of the universe. And along came Galileo and he said, well, I think the sun is the center of our world and we're going around the sun. And they wanted to kill him for saying that. They said, no, don't say that. Were you kidding? That's not the way it is. But with that, we found out that is the way it is. So as time goes along, the more we learned about the world, the more we got closer to the creation story. And we found out that God put the earth in orbit around the sun. And we read in Job, you remember, who fastened the foundations? Who put the earth exactly where it needed to be? And he said, well, that's what I did. And when I created it, the first thing is I put the earth exactly where it needed to be. And he said, well, can you live in Venus? Too hot, burn up. Too close to the sun. Can you live out in Saturn? Freeze to death. <laughs> too far from the sun. The earth is exactly in the right place. And as it goes around the sun, it travels around the sun in 365 and a little bit of days. And so we have this traveling around the sun every year. So we mark the years. And we know that the earth also spins on its axis. 
and as it's turning, all right, one side is daylight towards the sun, and then it turns around, and it's night on the other side. And so we have a constant regular flow of day and night as the Earth spins on its axis. And uh, then we have even seasons set up, and we can look up in the sky. And there's the Big Dipper, and sometimes it's dumping out, right? And sometimes it's not. And as the seasons go, it turns. And we can tell by looking up in the sky what the seasons are. So God has made the moon waxing and waning. And we see it go from a new moon. And it waxes up to a full moon. And then it wanes down again to new moon. And that's 30 days. All right. So we have a month as that happens. And uh, God has set all these things exactly so that all the times are quite exact. We don't say, well, one day everything got messed up and that was an hour longer. No, it's exactly the same day after day. And you say, well, ours get a little longer, a little shorter. Yeah, as we're different uh, directions as we're going around the sun. But uh, it's very much a very orderly thing. And God said, I'm going to set it up so that everything works the way it should. So you've got night giving lights and daytime lights, and you can measure time through those ways. And as we went on, we found a lot of things. The Vikings uh, got in their boats and said, all I need is that one star. There's a North Star. And they found the North Star, and they sailed all the way across the North Atlantic by looking at one star. Not bad. <laughs> okay. And uh, they could look up and, and, and navigate by that one star. And so we learned a lot over the time uh, that what God had done. And God has created now a world, and I'm going to put this in before I go on anymore, that is intended to be fruitful. He intended the world to be fruitful. And when we read about the plant life last week, God said he made the world to be fruitful. It's going to produce. And so we got trees with apples on them. We got uh, plants with, with grain on them. You got roots in the ground, you pull it out, and it's a carrot. All right, there's a tree that's got nuts on it. And everything produces some kind of fruit. Say, well, sometimes it's just grass. Yeah, and most of the animals eat grass. And so everything in the world was to be fruitful. And God intended that each thing should have a fruitful use. And all through creation, we're seeing it. Now we come to the sun and the moon and the stars. And he says it's going to be very fruitful, like everything else he does. It's going to be very fruitful. And so uh, there's a question that I ask, and that's this. Uh, We're talking about up in the sky, up in the stars, and where's the nearest one? Well, other than our sun, uh, you want to travel up to the nearest star, get ready, you got a long ride, okay? <laughs> you travel at the speed of light, all right? 
Now, some of you drive fast, but you don't drive that fast, okay? You travel at the speed of light for four and a half years to get to the closest star. You say, well, that's quite a long ways away. Well, that's the close one. How far away are some of them stars up there? So the question is, when we look up there, we've got one word, it is vast. And I want to know why it is so vast. There's a question that comes into mind. What about the world? What about it being so vast? All right, now we're going to learn from the stars, and as I said, the Vikings uh, went by the North Star. We have a much more famous thing than that, Matthew chapter number 2. Matthew chapter number 2. Here we have God. Who is not dependent on creation. He can do whatever he wants to do. He can create light without any sun. And now he's going to use the stars in this wonderful way. There's probably the most famous star of all time, Matthew chapter 2. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and are come to worship him. So now we have a star. Where did it come from? Well... <laughs> I love it because people are trying to figure it out. They got a hundred reasons, see, why this is not a star. All right? But it says it's a star. And, uh, and so, verse 7 Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired them diligently what time the star appeared. All right? And so, Herod says, well, you said you'd seen a star up there. Of course, Herod wasn't a stargazer. These guys were very good at it, by the way. And they could pick out a new star. And they said not only could they pick it out, they could tell why it was there, which is what's the most extraordinary part. You've heard me probably explain that before, as these wise men were part of uh, not really ambassadors, but advisors to kings in the great kingdoms of this world. And they uh, were one time under the rule of Daniel the prophet. Daniel became master of the Magi in Babylon. All right? And Daniel, as he is explaining what's coming, tells them about the, a coming king in Jerusalem. And now they have put the two together. And now they know why that star has appeared. But here's, I think, one of the most interesting things. Uh, Verse 16, then Herod, when he saw he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding raw, sent forth and slew all the children in Bethlehem and all the coasts thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. And so he says to the wise men, all right, you guys, when did you see that star? And they said, we've been watching it for two years. Now, there are people who say, well, that had to be a comet. All right, had to be a comet. Well, comets move along. 
And comets have an orbit. Comets move along, comets go on by, and then a Halley's Comet, right, comes and goes. We see it once in a lifetime, and it goes again. And some people say it had to be a comet. It must have been a planet. Must have been a planet. Well, there's no planet that ever stood still over at a house. <laughs> I remember when my sister was a baby, we'd take her outside, look at the stars. We'd walk to the backyard, and she'd turn her head and look the other way. No, 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 it's still over there. Okay, <laughs> it's a long ways up in the sky. And so God made a star of some kind of light, and he, uh, these men looked up and saw in the heavens information. They took the information, they followed it, and it led them to the Savior. All right, so uh, the stars are created not to be fruitful, all right, to be useful, to have meaning, all right. And so uh, God put these here to place the world in precise order as far as the passing of time. And we can use them to navigate, use them to figure out the seasons, and all these things are done. And the more people got to know about them, the more it sure looked like that's what they were. All right? They were created for that purpose. All right. Now, I want to think a little bit. I guess you might call it evolution, although that wouldn't really uh, describe exactly what it is because it's not really evolution, but it's theories, it's uh, men's ideas, men's ideas on how some of these things came to be. And <clears throat> there is a theory it's called the Big Bang Theory. You may have heard of the Big Bang Theory that in the beginning of time there was a huge explosion and everything burst into a million pieces and spread across the universe and that's where everything came from. And uh, somebody asked uh, Albert Einstein, and he said, do you believe in the Big Bang Theory? He said, yeah, that's how the world came to be. And then they asked him, well, who set off the explosion? <laughs> and he said, uh, I cannot say. He should have said, I will not say, because that's the difference. It's not I cannot say, as I refuse to say that God exists. And so I will not say that God exists. And so in the human heart, there is a natural rebellion against God. Now, why do you think that is? Why are humans rebelling against God? Particularly when you come, all right, to day four, God made that sun up there. Really? <laughs> God made the sun? Somebody made that? You got to be kidding. No, I'm not kidding. God made the sun. Where do you think it came from? And they say, well, uh, must have been a big bang. <laughs> They try anything except for God made it. Right? Because there's a rebellion against why is that? Because if there's a God and he can make a son, if he can make a son, right, he's a lot bigger and a lot more powerful than you are. A lot more powerful than I am. And if there's a being so powerful he can create a son. Well, let's go a little farther. The stars, they say, are nothing but suns a long ways away. But how many of them can he make? 
Millions. We can't count them. We can't count them. We get a big telescope and we look up, brand new telescope, and we find, hey, there's a whole bunch more up there that we could never see before. There's millions of them. If he can make millions of them, he must be very powerful. Elohim, radical power. And so if God is that powerful, then sooner or later, I'm going to have to give an account to a God who controls the universe. But I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do that. So I just say God doesn't exist. So we say to the person who's determined that God doesn't exist. So, all right, answer me a question. We'll give you the sun. We'll ignore the sun because I know you can't answer that one. So where did the moon come from? Will you answer where the moon come from? And this... Uh, we sometimes call it uh, uh, evolution. It's the same attitude, I should say. It's the same attitude as evolution. That is, we're going to find a way that things exist and don't count on God to do it. So we're going to say, well, here's how the moon became the moon. And there's four theories that people have made up about the moon and how it came to be. Number one, they call it the impact theory. The moon was created when a great big, either a planet or a big asteroid of some kind crashed into the earth. And when it hit the earth, it made a huge impact and a bunch of the, of the earth flew up and that became the moon, called the impact theory. All right? And that's what became the moon up there. And it was a crash in space as something ran into the earth, busted off a hunk of it, and now it's up there going around the earth. That's one idea. Another idea is the capture theory. The capture theory. Uh, which is, there was a hunk of rock, and it was wandering around in space. And as it came kind of floating around, it got close enough to the Earth, and the Earth's gravity pulled it, captured it. And that became the moon. All right, so the moon was something floating by, and it grabbed it, and the Earth's gravity and held on to it. And so that became the moon. It was captured by Earth's gravity. Third one, all right, is that uh, what they call condensation theory. Condensation theory. And the condensation theory is there's a lot of dust up floating around up there, and the dust started to kind of cling together. A little at a time, a little more, a little more. And finally, uh, enough of the dust got together and made the moon. It condensated or it pulled itself together and kind of big bowl of glue held itself all together. And that's how the moon got to be up there. Uh, and then there's one more. It's called the fission theory. Fission theory. 
And the fission theory is that uh, the Earth was spinning and it spun hard enough so that a chunk of it broke off. And it flew away from the Earth, and now it's up there became the moon floating around. <clears throat> so those are ideas that people came up with so they don't have to say, on day four, God put the moon up in the sky. You don't want to say that. You don't want to, you don't want to know that God exists. You don't want anything to do with God. And so they're thinking of anything they can think of uh, to try and create the moon, all right? Uh, the condensation theory is positively ridiculous. Had a whole bunch of dust all of a sudden clung together and made the moon. That one is not even worth me discussing because it's just insane, all right? That's not the way the world works or the universe works or anything. But there was a few things that happened in 1969 some of you will recall, they went up to the moon. And they landed on the moon, and they collected some rocks. And they brought the moon rocks back to Earth. Now, this is 1969. It's not that long ago, all right? And they got the moon rocks, and they brought them back, and they started looking at moon rocks. And they discovered something that they didn't know before, they discovered that the moon rocks were much less dense than the rocks on Earth. And so it was like they were light and uh, just not like the rocks. We got rocks that hold this church up since 1854 because they're dense. <laughs> they're hard. They hold together firmly. And that density that we have down here with the rocks and things on Earth is not true of the moon. So the logical conclusion is what? The moon did not come from the Earth. Because if the moon broke off the earth by fission, spinning wildly, broke a chunk off, it wouldn't be different material, right? So we know that fission one is going mainly because the earth spins on its axis. It's not spinning wildly, it's spinning every day. What? Exactly the same. Have you ever felt the world spinning? No, you haven't. You can't feel it, all right? And so it's not wildly spinning until a hunk blew off up in the sky. Right? So that one is done. And so we got the impact theory, which says something hit the earth and, and, and uh, smashed it up. And uh, there it was, a chunk of the earth went up and created the moon. Not possible. Why? Because the moon is made of something different than the earth. It's this much less dense, like seven times less dense than things on Earth. And so that takes care of the impact theory, and they found all that out in 1969. So the last one is the capture theory. It was floating by. <laughs> and everything that we look up there and see is not just floating by. It's all precisely 
turning on its axis exactly within a year's time as it goes around, all right? And these orbits are exact and precise. And so there's nothing out there floating. Everything has an orbit, whether it be the moons that are on uh, Saturn or wherever it is, everything orbits has an orbit. And so there's nothing out there floating around. And so all the theories of how the moon came into existence are men's idea created what? Any way we can so that we don't have to admit that on the fourth day God put a moon up there. And of course the most compelling argument of it all is what? How did that moon that either broke off the earth or came uh, running from a collision or however, how did it get to be perfectly round? If you break a hunk of earth off, is it perfectly round? Never is, never is. But that moon is perfectly round, put in there by the hand of someone who could spin it off of his fingertips and then spin it and spin and spin, spin somewhere. So we have the ideas behind this creation. I'm going to stop and think about this for a minute now. Uh, you and I live on this earth, and most of us have a very small footprint. That is, we live in the same house for most of our lives. We go to the same town, which is 10 miles away or whatever, and uh, we barely get farther than that. Once in a while we get courageous and we fly to California or Florida or whatever, okay? And good for us, we got a little bit farther. But the majority of our lives we spend in a very small part of this world. And we spend it in a narrow way, and we begin to look at the world in a narrow way. So, one time, a few years back, we had a great big lift, and we brought it, and we were going to fix the steeple. So I got in the lift, and I went all the way to the top of the steeple. And I got up there, and that's 90 feet up, and I could see the lake from the top of the steeple. And so I'm 90 feet up off the ground. And by the way, this hill here is the highest elevation in Orleans County. Right? This hill where this church is, is the highest elevation in Orleans County. So we're as high as we can get, except for we got up top of the steeple. When we look over there, I can see the lake. All right? What is it, 25 miles or something? To the lake, so I could see 25 miles. <clears throat> I've been in the Canadian Rockies and get up on the top, and you can see over there and over there, and maybe you can see 50 miles. All right, big deal. You can't see everything, 
As a matter of fact, you're kind of limited. And most of the time, we spend our lives in a very limited view of the world around us. And we do not have the concept that the world is large because we're small. And when you come from Basem, <laughs> and you head towards my house, you're going down and down and down. And then you hit the swamp, you're at the bottom. So I live at the bottom of everything. I can see a little bit out there, a little bit out there. Most of my time, I'm looking out less than half a mile to the swamp. That's all you could see. And so most of the time, we just can't see a lot of the world around us. And we spend our lives in that limited point of view. And that's how we live life on this earth. Now, God said, I'm going to do something. You want to know why it's so vast. And he said, I'm going to make something. I'm going to make the heavens. And how far does it go? Well, some people say it's infinite. It can't be infinite. All right. It is within the time-space continuum. You could get there. They threw you in a rocket. When you're dead, maybe you'd be 10 light years out. I don't know where you'd be. But uh, when I look up, I can see that star and that one and that one and that one and that one. And, you know, not often around here. It's cloudy. But once in a while... Yeah, I think it was just the other night, a couple nights ago, it was clear as a bell. And you look up, how far are you looking? If the closest star is four and a half light years away, and you're looking up, and you're seeing way, 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 way. Are you seeing 100 million miles? Oh, way more than that. That's nothing. Are you seeing millions and millions and millions of miles up? Yeah. So as I look around this earth, I can only see so far. And then I do that. <laughs> I can see millions and millions of miles up. And there's a star so far away up there, nobody can figure out how far away it is. I can see it. I can look up. And there it is, and I can see it. So God said, you're tending to have a small point of view. You're human. You don't really amount to much. You're human. He said, you're tending to have a very small point of view, but I'm going to give you the opportunity to look up. And how far are you going to see? So, we want to know why... The earth is so vast. Now let's go to Psalms. I'm going to get an explanation here about it. Book of Psalms. And the book of Psalms has two particular Psalms that talk about creation. And in particular, answer that question that we have. First one will be Psalms number 8 we'll look at. Psalms number 8. Psalms 
And this is a psalm about creation and God and why the heavens are so vast and why us little peons down here crawling around a little uh, postage stamp where we live can look up and see millions of miles away. O Lord, our Lord, verse, Psalm 8, verse 1, how excellent is thy name in all the earth who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. Right, there are people who are the enemies, the avengers. There are people who are against God. And actually, it says, out of the mouth of sucklings thou hast ordained strength. When Jesus used this verse, when he used it, he says, thou hast ordained praise. Or that God's purpose for creating it was praise. And he says it came out of the mouth of babes, of children. Because children looked up and said, well, God made that. <laughs> God said, that's it. He's only this big and he knows I made that. And so he says, out of the mouth of children who believe I could make praise come. When I consider thy heavens and the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visited him? And there's the question. You look up and you see how far can I see? Millions of miles up into space and there's these stars shining up there. And he says, what am I? Who am I, this little human down here on earth, and God made all of that? So big, so vast that we can't, we can only look at it. We can only look at it. So why did he make it? So big. Why did he make it so big? Psalm number 19 is the other one. This is a beautiful psalm, maybe almost my favorite. I've repeated it multitudes of times when I go out. I used to go to work real early in the morning, go out and say it every morning as I looked up in the heavens. Now I don't have to do that. But I'm up half the night anyway, so I look at it and see it. And this is what you think. Here we go. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. So he said, you're going to look up and there's actually a declaration. Those things up there that are spread out, stars, the sun, the moon, he says, those things up there declare they're saying something. All right, so why did God make it so vast? Because He's got them saying something. They declare that something is true. The heavens declare 
the glory of God. God made that. It's fabulous. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. And so you look up at the sun in the daytime as it's moving through the sky, and it's talking to us. He said it's saying something to us. It's got something to say. And then he says, uh, the night comes, and the moon comes into the view, and the stars are up there, and he says, uh, they also are speaking to us, teaching us, all right? And it says, there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. So, we can go to South America, in the middle of the jungle down there, and they look up and they can see all that. And there's a story about missionaries who went into the deep jungles of the Amazon looking for a tribe that no one had ever talked to before. And as they were getting close to the tribe, they were coming up the mountain and there's a little hut. There's a man who lived there all alone. And so they talked to the man, and they said, we're looking for the tribe. He said, they, they live down there. And they said, well, how come you're up here? He says, because down there they worship the sun and the moon and the stars. I live up here because I worship the God that made those things. Where did he come to that conclusion? From looking up. There's speech up there. There's something being said, being declared up in heaven that God is real, that God is how powerful? <laughs> he can spin a sun off his finger. To, no, he's been millions of them. Spread them across thousands and millions of miles. So there, day four, what do you think of that? Very impressive. So where do we have to go to hear that? You can go anywhere. You can go to Antarctica and look up and they're there. You can go uh, in the middle of the Russian mountains and you can look up and there, there's no place where their voice is not heard. So everywhere, humans, they may not see far on this earth, but they can look up there and there is a statement that the glory of God is there. And he says, day unto day utter speech. Day after day after day, you can see and hear what's being said. Now, the poet and the songwriter wrote the most fantastic thing about that. It's in your book. The spacious firmament on high and all the blue ethereal sky and spangled heavens, a shining frame, their great original proclaim. What do they say? Here's how we came to be. It's how we came into existence. It's the glory of God that put us here. What a God that can make suns and spin them off of his fingertips. The great original, the unwearied sun, from day to day, does his creator's power display and publishes to every land the work of an almighty hand. 
So the sun has its job. It's traveling through the sky saying, God is real. God is real. He created us. And soon as the evening shades prevail, the moon takes up the wondrous tale. And nightly to the listening earth repeats the story of her birth. And so the stars and the moon are telling the same story. Uh, While all the stars around her burn and all the planets in return publish the tidings as they roll and spread the truth from pole to pole. So we have this magnificent display. All right. And you say, well, what, what does this say? As the songwriter goes on, uh, what though? In solemn silence all move round this dark terrestrial ball, though no real voice or sound amidst their radiant orbs be found in reason's ear. They all rejoice. Utter forth a glorious voice, forever singing as they shine. The hand that made us is divine. And so we look up into the heavens and there's God. And he said, you know, you're awful small. You didn't amount to much. But I'm going to give you a vision and it's going to talk to you. And you need to listen to it. As them stars and that sun go by and that moon comes out at night and as it daily moves in precise order and the stars in precision move through the sky and we see it all perfectly laid out by a God of order. He says, remember the hand that made us is divine. There's God's handiwork on display for y'all to see. And so there it is in creation, the most uh, powerful proclamation that God is real is in the heavens where we can see vast distances, things that are so far away. And they say that maybe then some of them stars are long burned out, but they're so far away, the light's still traveling so far away. So if you can see all that, and it says the heavens declare the glory of God. And so every time you look up, you're not supposed to go, oh, it's hot today. <laughs> you're supposed to look up and say, nice job. Look at it. It's fantastic. It's spectacular. And it makes me feel, as he said, when we look up and we see what he did, we say to ourselves, man, we don't amount up much. And we don't. We don't. But he does. And so the fourth day of creation, God set aside to put something on so spectacular, so amazing, that when we look at it, it's just incomprehensible. You can't figure out how far away those are. I tell you, travel four and a half years at the speed of light, you don't know what that is. I drive 50 miles an hour down a road. That's how fast I go, okay? And most of you, some of you go a little faster, I know. You know, we don't, we're not doing that. Imagine going that speed for four and a half years at speed of light, and, and you don't only get to one. You only get to one. 
and I think the next one is like 10 light years away or something. And, and you know, you can't even live that long. Goes on and on and on and on. So it's a fantastic display. And why did God create it? Why are the heavens fruitful? Why are they fruitful? Because it is a convincing argument that God is powerful. Talk about radical power that he can spin off his fingertips on earth and then a world and then a sun and wrap the earth in an atmosphere because that sun is hot enough to burn us out if he didn't put an atmosphere around us. It's a spectacular display of the power of God. Now think about this. It's up there. He says it's talking continually. It's a continual speech being given to the human race. And what do they do? They looked up and they said, I think we'll worship the sun. And then they said, I think we'll worship the moon too. And in the Bible, the most famous sun worshipers were the people who worshipped who? Baal. That was their male deity, Baal. And they said, he's the sun. So we worship Baal. And Astaroth was the female deity. And she's the moon. So when you read about Baal worshipers in the Bible, these are people who say, there's the sun. We're going to worship that. We're going to worship the moon. And we're going to make one of them male and one of them female so that our services are prostitution. That's what we have for services. Our church services would be focused on prostitution. And then what we will do for our God is burn babies alive. We're going to worship Baal by taking a newborn baby like that little one right there. And they take it and build a fire in a rock and throw the baby into the fire. We're worshiping the sun. Baal. That's how rebellious the human race was towards God. The very thing he put in the sky to prove his power and to prove his glory and to prove the immensity of his ability to do whatever he wants to do is standing there and we can look at it day after day and it's saying something to us and we say, nope, I'm going to worship the sun instead and burn a baby as part of my worship to the sun. So is that chilling? What's going to happen to the human race? Believe me, they're in full rebellion when they're talking about the moon broke off the earth. All right? And none of it makes sense. 
<laughs> you look up at that nice round moon going around, and they say, ah, that didn't break off the earth. Didn't come floating by. It's not a bunch of dust that collected together. It was made in a different way than the earth, and a God who stuck it in the sky says, I need this to rule the night. So you'll know when day and night go by how long they are. So it's a fantastic day when God said, I'm going to create these things now. The purpose of them is to put a daily display in front of the entire human race so that they are without excuse. That's what it says in Romans. Says they rebelled against God, so God did creation, and He showed His power, particularly on this fourth day, as He made the heavens, and He showed His power, and He says, "Okay, you can worship the sun and worship a frog or whatever you want, but you got no excuse because it's right there every day for you to see, and it's speaking." It's talking. It's declaring. The heavens declare the glory of God. So I hope that you let worship rise in your heart when you're talking about creation because that's what chapter 1 is about. That's what it's mostly about. They're going to get all excited and say, well, we're going to figure out how the world came to be. Never mind that. Figure out that a God with a magnificent power created covered the world in green. Fantastic. And he did it in a day. He did it in a day. I don't know how he did it. I don't know. And he covered the world in green growth. And we say he did it in one day. And the next day he put the sun in the sky. Right? So the third day creates growth. Fourth day puts the sun in the sky. What do plants need? They need the sun. What's it called? Phototropism. That's green plants need the sun. So he created the plants. And the next day, there you go. Perfect harmony. Now you'll all be fruitful. Because the sun will make the world fruitful. All right, the sun will create a fruitful atmosphere, and these trees and plants and everything are going to grow and respond to the sun. And in this church, we only have one window where any light comes in. It really doesn't come in these windows a little bit, but when we want our plants to thrive, we stick them out by the doors, the only window to the south, because that's the sun comes in, and when the sun comes in, plants go, ah. Just what I needed. And on the third day of creation, he filled the world with green things. On the fourth day, he said, there's a sun. You should be happy now. And they've been growing ever since. Just like they came that first day, and his sweeping hand covered the world with vegetation. And now we're ready to go on to a whole new topic. Right? There's only one form of life on the earth at day four, plant life. It's thriving, it's fruitful, but he's about to begin life. Unbelievable life.
as he creates now two more days, two more days. And he'll fill the world with life. And we'll have to talk about that next week because I'm out of time. But uh, next week we go into a whole concept that is largely misunderstood as God fills the world with life. All right? Next week. Thank you.